You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Hey, here we are. My guest today is a unique combination of scientist, business consultant, and musician. He's built a solid career bringing life-saving treatments for diabetes and HIV AIDS to the world. He's spent two decades tutoring MBAs in academia. He's written 12 books on leadership, innovation, creativity, as well as several on the topic of Brexit, including Reboot Britain by Changing Minds on Europe and Brexit, and Private Eyelines, Have I Got Fake Brexit News for EU, a satirical view of the Brexit debacle, if you will. Um, he has garnered a prize for his work from Sir Richard Branson. On top of that, he's spent nearly 30 years running a business as Managing Director of Human Dynamics, whose clients have included Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, the United Nations, Imperial College London, Nokia, many, many prestigious others. He's the thought leader and a keynote speaker of the Academy of Rock. I'll ask him about that in a moment. In fact, he was interviewed by CNN when David Bowie died. Honestly, his accolades are too lengthy for me to list them all here. He joins me now from uh, just outside of London, Chillingham, I believe it's called. Uh, welcome to the program, Peter Cook. Good morning. Uh, wow. Well, Peter, there are so many places I could begin with you, uh, but I'd like to start with the Academy of Rock. Tell us what that is exactly and, and what you do. Well, I, I thought actually that when you did the uh, intro on the podcast that we were done, really, because you said it all. But... <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you could expound upon a few things. I, 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 well, I, I, as you did mention, I write books. And I, I did that to punch above my weight versus the big consultancies like PwC. And I, it all happened by accident, as many things do. And I wrote a book, a serious book on creativity. I thought, well, I better write another one now. And, so, uh, and someone said, we'd like another book out of you. And I had this sort of speciality of combining sort of science, business and music. And I thought, well, why don't I write a book called Sex, Leadership and Rock and Roll? There's no sex in it, by the way. <laughs> but nonetheless, I did that. And that sort of spawned the Academy of Rock by another sort of accident, I suppose, that people... To un unbeknown to me, st started to phone me up and said, could you read those books out? It'd be a lot fr freaking easier if they read them, but um, I, I, I aim to please. So I developed this unique style of talking about sort of academic ideas on business uh, from my MBA sort of side, and then blending them with parallel insights from music. So it gave me a great excuse to take a guitar to a seminar as well. But, you know, that's, uh, yeah. you know, so that wasn't the main motivation, but that's what I ended up doing. And there are quite a lot of parallels. I mean, to be serious for a moment, uh, music really is applied physics. Lots of business is applied maths and physics is maths. Um, there we have the link. So it is the sort of joining of the left brain because most business consultants are fundamentally boring. They come up with two-dimensional <laughs> grids and other shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I figured out that Meatloaf, Madonna and Motorhead might have summarized the same ideas in a more concise form. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned this sort of blending of business and music. Um, I... Uh, you know, I brought up the CNN interview in the intro uh, because I wanted to highlight something you said in that interview and ask you a follow up about it. 
uh, in talking about the life of David, David Bowie, you had noted that one of his ingenious, uh, if you will, aspects of his business acumen was that whenever Bowie failed, he quickly learned, reinvented himself, and moved on. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, my question is this. Do you find that that's simply a wise business technique, or do you, or should we also apply that mentality to even our personal lives? Is reinvention of ourselves whenever we screw up or lose at something, is that simply a good philosophy to live by? I, I think it's a very good philosophy to live by for anyone, whether they be an individual or a business. Regrettably, uh, learning from mistakes is something that businesses find terribly hard. And in fact, I know lots of musicians that also find it terribly hard. So it's not a quality that's uniquely uh, you know, ascribed to musicians. But Bowie, as a change master, has constantly pushed himself to do the new thing when he was at the top of the S-curve. So before he's going over the other side, mm. he managed to think, I want to do something else. And the real clever trick in music <clears throat> is to take the audience with you because the classic idea of musicians is, I want to go prog rock or I want to do jazz. <laughs> and right. uh, this is why the Rolling Stones have never done hip hop or prog uh, because they've stuck to what they do well, but um, they haven't needed to. So there is another model re really there where you keep doing the same thing. But if you want to be a, a, an adaptive and agile person, then it's about changing what you do and taking the audience with you because the norm is to change what you do and the audience look away in music and think, oh, my God, the Stones are doing prog rock. Um, <laughs> this is really bad. Um, so the same applies in business, of course, that if you change your business model and the customers don't like it, you're finished. Other companies such as Virgin are quite good at, at sort of diversifying and adapting so they never have to rely on one hit. Right. Really. Yeah, that's the the thing I think most people don't realize that the it's really rare that a musician has sustainability over, you know, decades. I mean, most are a one hit wonder. And mm. it's just, you know, it's it's the David Bowie's or U2 or the Rolling Stones that, you know, th those are the exceptions, you know, not the the general rule. And U2 are another example of a band that has uh, I don't mean to be cruel to you two. I love you two, but essentially, <laughs> they've they've danced around the same sort of four yeah. or so chords, the same way as ACDC. And yeah. of course, some people are creatures of habit; they want to hear the same song again on the next album. So yeah. that's ACDC summarised, but not trashed. I love ACDC, but you know, we're not all. Uh, some people are hesitant and uh, keen to hear something new, and the David Bowie's Prince's and Madonna yeah, type. That they're the ones that sort of change your mind along the way and hope that you will follow them. Yeah. When, uh, when ACDC, they changed their lead, the lead singer, you almost didn't notice. Like it was the same guy, basically the, I, I don't know their names, but it's like the same voice. He even had the same kind of look. I mean, it was just, let's, you know, if the formula works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? And Brian Johnson had been uh, had actually played in a in a place in Torquay with with uh, Bon Scott. They were quite good friends, in fact. He'd forgotten that he'd met him, but you know <laughs> they were they, he was doing that sort of stuff in the band Geordie before ACDC were there. So it wasn't like he thinks I'm a, a copycat. Right. Brian eats gravel for breakfast the same as Bon Scott did. <laughs> Well, drastically shifting gears uh, now, I, I want to try to uncover at least some of the variety that makes up who Peter Cook is. Let's talk a little bit of politics. 
Um, I think it's safe to say you have a rather strong opinion on Brexit and uh, <laughs> that you think it would be in the UK's best interest to rejoin the EU. Most of my audience is primarily American, uh, not exclusively, but about uh, 70% of my downloads come from the US. I think generally, uh, or at least my uh, audience has a, a general understanding of what Brexit is in the sense that the UK separated from the EU on the basis of, I, I would say, three reasons. One being economic, thinking that, you know, they're paying into the EU to, to bail out countries like Greece. Uh, the second would be kind of an erosion of sovereignty. I'm not making an argument for Brexiteers. I'm trying to explain what I guess the American general understanding is. And then third would be uh, immigration control. You know, the, the, the EU open border policy, uh, I guess some maybe UK nationalists are, were against that. Anyway, uh, that's the basic understanding uh, that I think Americans have of the Brexiteer argument. Give us a basic explanation as to what harms have been caused by Brexit. First of all, I wish the Americans could come over and explain this to the British because uh, we're <laughs> quite confused about it first. That was a brilliant <laughs> way of explaining it. Uh, what harms have come from Brexit? Well, <clears throat> you said that uh, you know sovereignty, the erosion of sovereignty. That was a perceived erosion of sovereignty. We were always uh, kind of, it's like sort of um, being together but separate being in a club. We were always able to make our own decisions on important national matters. But um, various people in the Brexit party, rather like perhaps the readover is some of the, the Trump uh, extremists, told people that we were not able to do things because the EU had stopped it. And yet that couldn't really be more tr uh, you know, untrue. Right. So uh, we, we were told a pack of lies on top of your three factors. Um, what we're not able to do now is um, uh, import any goods. Um, it's horrifically expensive to buy stuff now from Europe. Uh, what we're not easily able to do is trade with Europe, which geographically uh, is our next nearest neighbour. And I know there is an American trade deal on long on the horizon, actually. I mean, years away, because uh, everyone's got other things to do than worry about a tiny island. Um, but we have done a number of trade deals with Australia and New Zealand. And guess what? We don't get any trade from those trade deals because <laughs> there's a simple arc, a sort of law of economics in terms of uh, goods, particularly goods, that if you double the distance, you halve the trade. So the promise of Brexit has been really uh, not matched by any deliverables. Um, the bigger, wider point in terms of global politics, and, you know, we have Bolsonaro, yeah, we all have populism in around the world. It seems to be a sort of disease that rises up and goes away. So the readover from Brexit is very much the Trump phenomenon, and we're trashing all our laws and what have you. But um, we are now, uh, to solve world problems, there has never been a time when world leaders need to collaborate and come together. And we have decided and persuaded a proportion of our population that instead we should put up walls and keep people out including drowning people in boats that want to come here who are fleeing from terror. And that isn't, in my view, that's not clever. Yeah. I know there are arguments all over the world about migrants, but nonetheless, you know, uh, we need to treat them with respect uh, and then process them appropriately. Yeah. The, well, I'm sure you're well aware that it's, it's a similar issue in the United States. I mean, with the immigration coming over the, the Southern border. And I mean, these are people that are fleeing like, <laughs> drugs are 
zones that like dangerous areas where the police don't even have control of the areas, you know, and they're just trying to make a better life for themselves. Anyway, I won't make a desperate well, plea for immigration. <laughs> you, 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 uh, we'll return briefly to a lighter theme here because you had the, the pop hit called uh, build that the wall. We had take back control. See the populists do know something about pop music because they don't <laughs> summarize their words in, you know, it's not prog rock, it's a disco hit with just three words in it. And so, you know, these things are circulating around the world and catchy catchphrases. This is the poverty mm. of my art form of music that musicians are very clever at sort of, you know, coming up with a hook. Um, mm. Politicians have realised that actually nobody listens to them unless they've got a really good hook. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, there's no, a lot of times there's no depth. There's no substance to their. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard a, an American debate before, and I'm like, you're not even telling me anything. You're not giving me any policy. You're just regurgitating like one-liners. <laughs> but we we have a radio broadcaster over here called James O'Brien, and he talks about the footballification of everything. <laughs> if you can turn it into a chant, then the mob will follow, yeah. and blindly. Yeah, I know we've we've bounced from music to politics. Uh, in each episode, uh, one thing I try to do is a segment called Five Minutes Zen. And it doesn't have to be about Zen. It just, uh, you know, I usually tailor the question for whomever I'm speaking with. Here's my question for you. How do you unwind? <laughs> and let me qualify. What I mean is, at the end of the day, when you see frustrating news from Bolasero to uh, Boris Johnson to the extraordinarily brief tenure of Liz uh, Truss, and you want to pull your hair out, um, how do you keep from pulling your hair out? You still have a uh, head of hair there. What <laughs> what would your advice be to all of us to keep calm in this sometimes absurd world? Well, grow more hair is the starting point. <laughs> um, but actually, um, I people regard me as unusual because I don't get wound up by Liz Truss. I do something about it. So I say in the, uh, you know, the Reboot Britain uh, book, and I say to people, you know, you know, don't just be overwhelmed by apathy, do something about it. So I think, you know, it, it's really uh, easy to say to anyone that feels very depressed about the way of the world and the state of things, but actually, you know, write a letter, get it off your chest. Don't hold it inside. So catharsis is a great thing mm. to get it off your chest. And there are many ways to get stuff off your chest. I mean, classically, people think about Zen as being, you know, go meditate, lay down. But in fact, I, I, I'd like to propose there's an active way of meditation, which is, you know, write a book, <laughs> write a rock song, go and protest about it. Because you don't have to be horizontal to get stuff done, get with other people that feel the same and try and lighten their load. So I think always pointing outside of yourself is a good way to stop the the black dog of, of isn't it awful. I do occasionally get fed up with things, to be frank, but I, uh, I quickly turn that sort of reflection into activism. Um, <laughs> but no, do something is, uh, and I write music actually as a cathartic means of getting stuff off my chest. I've written three albums of anti-Brexit songs. Some of them are poignant and reflective. Some of them plainly stupid. I mean, they're just... <laughs> well, I know you're a fan um, of satire. Some of them are deeply offensive as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think actually, yeah, swearing and primal screaming. There's another one. There I don't go. know how many things we've covered in the Zen part of this, but, you know, you know, let it out, I think, is my summary point. 
I, I actually, I think that's all Zen. I, uh, I, I teach sort of active meditation. That's kind of what you're talking about. You know, like, you know, writing a song, writing a, a, a letter, writing a book, you know, that in itself can be a form of meditation. You're getting in the zone, you know? And I've so, trained my wife to go to shopping, uh, uh, to shops, uh, food shops. When people are moaning in the, the aisles about the price of eggs, she does what I call Brexit whispering. She just goes, <laughs> Brexit. And then she walks away. She's not, she's not built the same way as me. She wouldn't indulge in a full conversation with the other side. I, I Brexitize people in cafes and pubs, try to sort of take them down one step at a time from the mountain that they inhabit, the mountain of myths and illusions. But she just says Brexit to them. Mm. And then she walks away. And actually, that's, that sounds not humanistic. But it leaves with the problem. It gets it off her chest. Yeah, it's cathartic. To use a word you used before, it sounds cathartic. Uh, do you think? Do you think that uh, there's a chance that the UK will rejoin the EU? Uh, not just a chance. It will ultimately because Brexit is starting to reveal its many ugly heads, both uh, socially, economically, politically, and all the other things. We're burning all the EU laws, rather like sort of people tried to burn John Lennon's. Uh, uh, records in the 60s mm. uh we're, we're we're scrapping them all this year so that we can write better ones um this rather ignores the fact that 98 percent of those laws were created with you know, or initiated by the uk who's actually got quite quite a good record of law and order and, and law making so we're now trashing the laws that we wrote yeah so the 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 book in which you parody the things that that's the private airlines book correct yeah, that's right. Okay, and then the uh, the the book in which you sort of lay out or making the case that the the uh, UK should join rejoin the EU. That's in the Reboot Britain book, correct? Yeah, the Reboot Britain is the serious book, and it's the education book, and it contains you know more about how we would do it. Mm. But the the bulk of it is how you work in cafes, in pubs on the street, at the bus stop, wherever you are. Oh, at the grassroots grassroot level. To talk to people with some degree of empathy about the mistakes they've made without necessarily mentioning the word mistake. <laughs> um, so that's a sort of book on therapy, really. But the, the other book is sheer parody. Hmm. Uh, what was happening, I was doing these headlines <clears throat> on the on my website, brexitrage.com. I was doing these mock-up front pages. And some of the stories were true. They were amplified truth. And others were completely fictional mm. and people couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I had it. to then put in a fact and fiction narrative to explain <laughs> which things were true and which things were false, which really spoils satire, actually. <laughs> it really spoils. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And we have a news, we have a program on the BBC called Have I Got News for You, which parodies the pr predominantly the, the political news of the week. So, hence, that was the sort of subtitle of the book. I see. So and uh, I think it's important to uh, to ask where can people get the book? Because actually you're not uh, you don't go through Amazon like most people. Right. You, you've got like an Etsy store. Like that, I, I do. I do go through Amazon for my business books. OK. So the books on leading innovation, the music of business, sex leadership, all of those are on Amazon. I, I also have that the other Brexit books on Amazon. OK. But the 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 Have I Got News for You book is a color book. And Amazon, I, I did it on Amazon because that was the only way to, to get a book out quickly because having worked with publishers like Bloomsbury, it takes a year to publish stuff, by which time it's all out of date. Mm -hmm. So I 
I decided to put it on Amazon um, to you know these publishing platform, but they want an extraordinary amount of money for a full yeah. color book, and mm. so that makes the book quite prohibitively priced on Amazon. In fact, I've inflated that price to discourage people from going there. So I do have an Etsy site called Reboot Britain, which is far more reasonable. Okay, and um, yeah, so. Well, I will. I'll link that stuff in the show notes so that people can can find you and uh, um and find your books. Well, all right, folks, that will do it. Uh, go get one of Peter's books. Uh, again, I'll have a link in the show notes for you to go find one of those. Uh, so uh, go follow Peter on LinkedIn and go get one of his books. After you buy one of his books, go do that first. If you got three bucks left over, uh, you can support this show at patreon.com slash sandsandwich or just make a one-time donation of any amount, just a buck at redcircle.com slash zen dash sandwich. I'll put that in the notes too. Easy to do. Uh, Peter, you are a fascinating dude. Uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure to talk with you. I appreciate your time. So we are all the young dudes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, mate.